Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be, across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 319. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, my co-host, Ryan Johnson. Ryan, how are you doing today? Good, Eric. How are you doing out there? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Did you make it back to Orlando? I did. Got back to Orlando Saturday morning, just in time for a t-ball game, and the weather is just brutally hot here, so... I'm ready to yeah, do let that. me tell you, this, it, is a, it is a travel, you know, if you're in this social media space or you're in, you know, the expert space or you're evangelizing technology, I'm surprised how much travel everybody has to do, right? I mean, it's kind of a constant travel. Uh, Alistair Cook was in from either New Zealand or New Zealand. Uh, he flew in. We had the VMUG yesterday, so there's just been a lot of people, and I'm just constantly amazed at how much travel there is, right? Uh, we have Josh Atwell sitting here today. Uh, you're in from North Carolina, is that it? Yep, and I'm uh, red-eyeing home tonight. <laughs> red-eyeing home tonight. And, uh, and we have uh, Nick Marshall here. Both of these guys uh, authored the uh, uh, Mastering vSphere 6 book that's out. So we'll be there are guests today. So Nick, did you travel from anywhere, or are you local? Uh, the, the other building here on campus. No, I'm, I'm local now. I traveled a long way to relocate so I didn't have to travel so much. Failing yeah. um, from Australia, but now local here in Palo Alto. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so uh, definitely even uh, our old uh, Mike Laverick used to come in from the UK. So it's just a, it's just a get on planes and travel around. There's a lot of stuff going on, um, which is fantastic. So, so Ryan, um, we got some stuff going on. I'll, I guess I'll do the news, and then we'll we'll, we'll get into our interview uh, with Nick and Josh, um, mastering vSphere. Uh, Silicon Valley VMUG was a couple of days ago. I guess it was yesterday. It seems like so far, so far, so long ago. It was actually just yesterday. Um, Kit was on the show the week before. He did the presentation, uh, the keynote. I thought that was an interesting keynote in that he asked how many people had heard of Docker. Uh, and we got a hand raise. There were maybe 100, 120 people in the keynote, and I think we only saw 10 raise their hand. So it was fascinating to see uh, in our community base, you know, how many people, you know, really don't spend time in the native cloud, native apps, applications are deploying to cloud. What does that mean, you know, operating system, core OS, or other operating system, micro, micro operating systems? Uh, fascinating that Kit looked around and went, yeah, okay, you know, like, well, let me teach you. So his presentation went from um, let me tell you about what we're doing to let me tell you what it is, right, yep. which, which uh, was, was fascinating, right, so, you know, that's the interesting thing about Yeah, and it's interesting to be in Silicon Valley where, you know, we're on the cutting edge of what we're developing for future. Uh, and yet you're still, you know, a year or two out from what people are actually digesting and using. Uh, and I guess maybe you guys run into that in, in your book world, like how many people are getting to vSphere 6, you know, yeah. and where are they? Um, I'm still on vSphere 3. You know, I'm never going to let it go. Um, 
So that was an interesting takeaway. Takeaway. VMworld call for papers still going on. Um, have you, you know, you did uh, Ryan? Did you get all your papers in? I've got a couple in. I had a couple chats last night with folks. I need to get a couple more in just to just to see if I can do it. <laughs> okay. But yeah, cool. I've got a couple. I've got a couple. Right. So uh, I think you got uh, like another uh, week, 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 week or so. Yeah, I think the uh, end, end of call for papers is, I think it's like 12 Pacific on April 26th, if I'm if I'm correct. So I think right. it's just, just over a week, just over a week. Yeah, long. I think you're right. Um, my takeaway from the Silicon Valley VMUG also was there was a lot of storage vendors, right? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think it was 90% storage vendors uh, in the kind of the demo area where, you know, vendors had come in. That might be a little high, but yeah, I think there was 14 unique storage vendors that, uh, that were in attendance. Right, guilty. Yeah, and, and even when I talked to Oracle, they thank you, Oracle, for paying for parking. They validate all our parking. Yeah, uh, Oracle, actually, I want to go on the record. Oracle actually gave something away for free. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't licensed. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, thanks to Oracle for paying the parking. Did they give anything else away, or was it? There's some good information around their, their hardware play and their, right. the, the storage systems that they're trying to bring to market. And that's my point, that even Oracle was there. They were talking about storage, right? So obviously, it's still a big play in storage when you, when you go to that. Um, right, yeah, so, so a good kind of user conference. You guys were there. Um, uh, did you have good attempts on your session? We did. Yeah, yeah. we did. We, uh, so I had uh, kind of three separate sessions. I had one in the morning talking about vSphere 6 and early version of vSphere performance. That was packed. Um, lots of great uh, attendance participation, which was really good, understanding what their needs were. Um, most of them uh, are not even running 5.5 uh, at this point. So getting back to your question earlier, Eric, around who's getting to what, now we have to remember as the people that are evangelizing this stuff that our customers are, are not riding the crest of the wave quite as, quite as far forward as what we are. Yeah, great, great turnout yesterday. Um, my sessions were well attended. Our, our joint session at lunchtime, we we got up and talked community, which was great. Um, seemed to be well received. So, and, and I thought there were some really good questions that that sprung up. Um, you know, we we talked about our what what led us to to writing and, and getting involved. Right. And one of the things that I that I liked was one of the questions was, okay, so you did that. How do you tackle what's your next project, the next thing that you're going to do? Uh, I think we were in agreement. We're going to rest. <laughs> you're going to you're going to take the massive royalty checks and you know go down to the Caribbean and hang out on a Jamaican island and eat your chicken. Yeah, I'm going to buy myself a small Amazon gift card. <laughs> there you go. All right, before we get into before we get into the interview uh, and you know about the book and so forth. Some other announcements. So that was the VMUG. Thanks to everybody that came to Silicon Valley VMUG. If you're listening to this on iTunes, pay attention to when your VMUGs are going on. It's kind of good just to get together. I was not super impressed with the vendor stuff, but I was impressed with the number of people I saw there. And it's fun to meet everybody and engage with everybody and go sit in a couple sessions and get to see what everybody's doing. So I think that's the, for me, the big guy part of it was just, you know, getting to see everybody and say hello. Right. Um, so that's neat. Um, Otherwise, a lot of marketing, VMUG likes to market. I, I noticed that, like a lot of... Well, you know, I, I would say that one of the... I, I noticed a couple of things at this particular one that I liked. 
you know, this year uh, VMUG is kind of switching the way that they're branding these conferences and call them UserCon. And it, it does change kind of the, the, the feel a little bit, but, and I think it's for the better. Oh, right? okay. Yeah, I do. I, I do think it's for the better if, because these are very distinct from what your traditional quarterly VMUG meeting is. I mm -hmm. uh, actually had people come up and talk to us uh, and asking about, you know, how to, how to get involved with the VMUG and things like yeah. that, and, and to let them know that, you know, the user con is a little atypical from what your average VMUG meeting is. Right. Um, and I think the other thing that I really got away from uh, from this particular one is they served popcorn, and that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. They had all the popcorn you could, you could eat. Yeah, I saw, yeah. Your, I saw right. your photo on Twitter. That was awesome. I agree with you on that. Now there's a clear delineation between a user con and a user meeting. Right? Yep. You can't make them. They branded it. You can't. You can't get used on this is a user group meeting, right? This is right. a user con, and then therefore it had vendor and had a lot of vendor influence. There was felt like I was to quite a bit, right? And so that's okay because it's branded a user con, and you go to that when you want to, you know, experience a big audience. It's a mini VMworld. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I agree with that. So that has cleared the delineation. So now when I know I go to a meeting, it's 20, 30 people, and we're in the room. Versus a user comp. So yeah, definitely more intimacy in the uh, in the core of the meeting. Okay. So uh, moving on for news, um, uh, April twentieth is still a launch event. We're trying to drive Reg to. Uh, we had Keith Kohlberg here last week talking about some stuff. I would say that we're not allowed to talk about what the launch is, what we're launching, uh, and so um, we haven't had the pickup that I would say we'd like to have for Reg. So example of this, Corey, Corey, you're on the call. You sent out a, a hey required reading for V experts. If you're V experts, you should probably sign up for this launch, right? Right. Uh, can you yep. tell me? Can you tell me the stats on that? When we sent that out to all the V experts, <laughs> uh, did we get many pickups? Uh, forty-one. Forty-one. You, forty-one. Out of, forty-one and V experts clicked the link in the email. Okay. <laughs> So that means that of the required V experts, if you're out there, we sent out a please log, please register. 1,300 of you, we got 41. Now maybe that people just didn't see the email, and so you know they wouldn't know that hey, we really want you to go pay attention to this technology because I think it's going to be impactful for every V expert out there. You're going to have to start to learn this stuff. Um, how do we know people clicked on the mail? Well, I, uh, the second paragraph was, are you going to VMworld? And I got uh, about 400 responses out of that one. So <laughs> I tell people okay. 400 people <laughs> read my mail and clicked the link. <laughs> right, but 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 only 10% of the the experts then <laughs> read that mail and clicked on the VMworld link actually clicked on the reg for the event link. <laughs> and that was the second paragraph. So they all right, right. right. That, that was the second paragraph. Exactly. I, I'm going to self-identifying what I did and did not do. Right. <laughs> and we put tracking codes on all of this so we know exactly, you know, what's happening. Right. Um, so be aware. Um, then the, the sad thing is then we, we could track how many people actually finished the reg. Right. Uh, and only 42% of, of the social inbound actually uh, registered for the event. So I think our struggle with this is that it's actually, I, so I, I ran into John Troyer, the, the, he who shall not be named on the podcast, uh, yesterday at the VMUG, 
And, and he's kind of on NDA on some of our stuff. And so I told him what we're launching. And he was like, oh, my God, wow, this is really big. I didn't really realize, you know, that this was what it was, right? And, and then he's like, maybe I'll go register. Right? Uh, so what I would say is that it's hard to talk about what we're going to launch, but I would say that what we're launching is going to be kind of cool. Um, uh, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll actually, as, a, as an independent outsider, uh, we'll say that I am very intrigued by what's being launched. I can't obviously talk about it, but I you, do you know? I, 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 I was given uh, a glimpse into what is what it's going to be, it's and strange. I am I am now going to go find Corey's link and yeah. and and get registered <laughs> because uh, it is it is going to be quite the uh, the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It will. Yes, yes, it, it is. Will. Yeah, absolutely. So, so neat, neat stuff. Which is like, how could we come out with a bigger launch? And everybody's kind of launched out with Vsphere Six anyway, and you know now we have books for Vsphere Six, and so uh, you know we we have over social, I think, a little bit, but um, but here we are, and so it is yet one that I think will be interesting for people. And can you possibly over social? I don't think so. So um, on <laughs> schedule. Here next week on the podcast, if you're listening, we have uh, VMware app volumes with Dean Fleming. Or how do you say Fleming? Flaming? Flaming. 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 All right, what a meme. I want that last name. Flaming. He's on fire, that guy. He's on fire. Dean Flaming. So next week, VMware app volumes with Dean Flaming. Uh, we, have, we have lined up for the next couple months some pretty good podcasts. Uh, because we got the announcements coming out, we got, and then of course we have today mastering Vsphere six. So you can't go wrong with that. Um, and with that, we're pretty much through the news. Uh, anything else, Corey? You got anything else to say to the, the expert audience that's listening? Or are we good to go? I think we're good to go. Other than uh, you know, thanks for the response, the interaction. I, I deal with the experts on a daily basis. Appreciate it. And if you are going to VMworld, please go back and click that link and enter your information. And also, please, I encourage you guys to and sign up for this event, this launch announcement, and attend it. It's going to be big, and it will drive some interesting blogs and conversations. So uh, I know they're doing some the expert pre-briefs on the announcement. Also, what are you doing for VMworld? Why do they have to tell you they're coming to, for, to VMworld? Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, one, we want to find out how many people are going to go attend the VExpert party for U.S. and Barcelona. Okay. We want to get that lined up uh, you know, soon. The second thing is this year, for, for the first year ever, when you're walking around the conference, you'll actually be able to spot who's a V-expert and who isn't by based on the lanyard. So the lanyard is going to be a V-expert, and it's going to be a different color, similar to the uh, press and analyst lanyards. Okay. So you'll be identified by your lanyard as a V-expert. Right. So definitely, uh, we want, yeah, so that's, that's why you need to go click on that link, because we only got 400, so you got to get that out. We'll probably send out another email, remind everybody, just so that we get all the lanyards uh, identified with the people. We've got 1,300 V-experts. Uh, when's the next call for V-experts? Not to June, July. We call for the second half June. of the year. So June. Okay. Right. Yeah, so you, June. You still have a late, Right. Late August announcement, to, uh, you know, right with VMworld. All right, so you got a chance. If you're not a V expert, go do a bunch of stuff. Go to CloudCred, look at the V expert badge, figure out how to become a V expert. Go do a bunch of those tasks, get some points, uh, submit yourself. You can still be a V expert. Come meet Pat at VMworld, get your lanyard, get all the free licenses, all that stuff. Okay, we'll get off the marketing. So, Ryan, uh, we are here. We are here with Nick and Josh. Um, uh, I guess I'll do this. The, the welcome, Nick and Josh. Uh, Nick, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, how long you've been at VMware, and uh, what are you working on? 
So I'm Nick Marshall. I hail from Australia. That's why I have the funny accent. I would argue that Josh also has a funny accent, but he doesn't come from Australia. I've uh, been working at VMware for about three years now. Um, originally in Australia, I was part of professional services, so doing design and implementation work of our products. Uh, prior to that, I was a customer. So I, I worked for uh, a rather large um, infrastructure, not IT infrastructure, but physical roads, mines, electrical infrastructure work in Australia, and then moved over to VMware. Uh, I've been in the US for about 12 months, actually 12 months last week. I moved over here into product management, and now I'm working as an integration engineer within R&D. So I'm working on how our products fit together. So if you take VROps and vSphere, how do those products work together? How do we make it a, a better, more cohesive experience? How do we ensure that they're as similar as they can be given their different feature sets? Great. All right. Cool. Uh, Nick, I mean, sorry, Josh, what, uh, same thing. How long have you been in the VMware ecosystem and what are you working on? Uh, so, Josh Atwell, I'm a cloud architect. I've been working with VMware since the 2.5 days. Uh, I think my first installation um, where I had actually control was with uh, vCenter 2.5 and uh, ESX 3. And so I've, I've, I've kind of been messing with VMware for quite a while. Uh, at SolidFire, my role is, you know, kind of uh, in parallel with what Nick does. I'm focused on how we seamlessly integrate with the various automation technologies that VMware has. So how do we get integrated with VRealize Automation, VRealize, well, the VRealize um, PowerShell, data analytics, things like that. So. Uh, I spend a lot of time with a wide range of technologies, and it's kind of fun and interesting because I can't get bored, not for long. Um, I'm always moving on to a, a new technology. So does that mean you're a non-storage guy at a storage company? I, I am. I am very much a non-storage guy at a storage company. In fact, during the interview process, I made it abundantly clear that I am not a storage connoisseur. Uh, it is not a point of significant interest to me. And the response was immediate. We have enough storage people. We need someone to help us do automation and, and the work that I'm doing. So um, I, I have a great affinity towards our products. Uh, and, and in large part, it's because of the things that I'm able to do with the products. But I'm not going to go down, down that path. Wrong audience for that. But if you're interested, you can always reach out to me on Twitter or, or, or email, and I can, I'll be more than happy to tell you all about it. Okay. So Ryan, why don't you jump in and start talking to them about the book and what they're what they're doing with the book? You wanna you wanna go with that? Yeah, sure. You guys hear me okay? I'm getting a little bit. Yeah, of we did so. perfectly. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so so Josh and Nick, tell tell us about the new book that you've got coming out around. Well, it's just what just published last last Wednesday, I think it came out. Correct. Uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, I think it was officially available. Um, we did kind of like this semi-official launch yesterday at Silicon Valley VMUG. But uh, yeah, so this is this is a title that um, obviously it's a revision on the, of the Mastering vSphere series. Uh, it's been, what, 12 months since I started writing this revision. Um, I brought on a, a new co-author, uh, Grant Orchard, who's also at VMware. Um, he's a friend of mine from Australia. And I got Josh back um, to help with uh, the automation section of the book as well. So um, we've been writing this for a little while now. Um, the product's obviously been in development. It really helps to be an internal at VMware, but writing an independent book 
it's a little bit different than somebody externally not having access to the bits. So I've been I've been writing this one for a little while. Obviously, there's rewrites when product changes, um, and some of the V experts that have seen that that experience and and how how the things can change through product development. Right. So I've been an interesting writer over the last 12 months. So, so yeah. the process. During the process of the write, of the writing, I mean, are there any things that really stood out to you um, as from the product perspective that just were kind of your or kind of your favorites, like the things that really stand out as far as the uh, new, the new changes in vSphere 6.0? So I guess both of you. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll answer and then I'll, then I'll hand it over to Josh to, to talk about his favorite features, but. Um, if you look at the kind of the major new features in vSphere 6, so if you look at from a compute perspective, we've obviously got um, vMotion and fault tolerance changes. They're kind of those major changes across vCenter and across cross network vMotion. We've got multi CPU fault tolerance. That's cool. In the network perspective, um, we've got uh, network IO control free, so we can reserve bandwidth on fault groups and vNICs now. Um, from a storage perspective, there's a real um, a lot of changes in terms of well, there's the new version of vSAN, which is great, and there's also the new uh, yeah. connectivity option with virtual volumes. That's fantastic. So if you look at the, kind of those three pillars, um, in terms of what is my favorite, I think most useful is going to be for me is the cross vCenter vMotion. That's my, my favorite thing, kind of just day to day. That's the coolest. I mean, vMotion, that's like the, the, the golden feature of what made VMware cool in the first place, right? This is, this is one of the, the best additions to that. Um, that. But I think from uh, laying the foundation for things ahead, I actually think that this, this was a storage release. Um, I haven't talked to the marketing guys about this, but if I look at the fundamental changes that have happened with virtual volumes and the the, the second release of vSAN, I really think that vSphere 6 can be classified as a, a storage release. But that's just my take on it. That's not an official VMware marketing take. What about you, Justin? Right. Your favorite? And I, I would go with, you know, obviously I have an affinity towards Power CLI and the... Uh, that was in there last time, Josh. I know. It's, it's Power, yeah, so here's the funny thing about the automation frameworks, right? Uh, a lot of that stuff gets continual development outside of the core vSphere release. And some of that is for feature parity, some of that is to you know, take full advantage of uh, capabilities that are there, and some of that stuff just takes a little bit longer to get developed and rolled out because you have to have the core in place before that stuff can be done. So I, I, I always see like the, the implementation of, you know, like, PowerCLI and Realize Orchestrator and some of those components as a continual, you know, development cycle and release. Um, so for me, being able to see that there is more feature parity, like in this release, to where more of the new features can be directly, you know, uh, interacted with PowerCLI and things like that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been kind of excited to see that. In fact, I've been using some of it, you know, you know, with with my day-to-day -day job now. So uh, it, it it is nice seeing that, uh, but yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like the automation stuff is always a, a work in progress with incremental deployment. Right, yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of want to go back to something Nick said, um, looking at the release, and, and I'm going to agree with you, Nick, here. When I look at the, the, the release, one of my favorite pieces is 
is VVOLs, um, but really in particular, it's the storage policy-based management and what we'll be able to do with that um, in terms of VVOLs and vSAN. And then, you know, we look at, you know, partner integrations, uh, what we're doing with, you know, VVOLs from the partner side and where v, um, the storage policy-based management is going to come in, right? Really automating the storage provisioning pieces and the opportunity, the opportunities that lie before us there. Yeah, and that it's, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's exactly a lot of my focus right now at SolidFire. Um, we just did the expert webinar a couple of weeks ago where we previewed some work that we've been doing with Rawlinson Rivera around you know, getting more utilization out of SPBM, taking advantage of its capabilities and enabling more capabilities in, uh, in vRealize automation. And so you'll, you'll be seeing a lot from me uh, coming close to, to VMworld timeframe about really taking full advantage of, of those updates and those capabilities and those technologies. So it should be pretty fun. Yeah, just yeah, from, a, from an SPVM perspective, I think that vSAN kind of introduced the world to what was capable if you didn't have a vast comp compliant yep. storage array or you hadn't implemented that, that endpoint. Um, vSAN was where everybody first started playing with this and it's easier to get stood up in the lab. Um, but now that people have got a taste for it, they're like, I want to do this for real on my existing array. I don't want to have to go out there and spend a couple of million dollars on, on new hardware to be able to get this capability. And the great things about virtual volumes is that now it's up to the vendors of existing arrays to do a firmware upgrade or provide a, a VASA2 endpoint, and then you're going to get that capability. The vendors are all working really hard on it at the moment. Been talking to some some of um, Josh's colleagues. I've been talking to some of the guys from Dell um, and various other vendors. Everybody wants to get on the, the VVOL train. They realise that it's going to fundamentally change the way that administrators um, work in their VMware environment. Uh, it's certainly uh, an exciting time. Yeah, that's got to kind of turn that turn turn it on its on its side and look at it from a different perspective. And I can see with the you know SPBM. Uh, and the VOS, VOS providers, you know, and then coupling that to, to Josh's point with automation, right? VRealize automation, um, possibly some, you know, VRealize orchestrator workflows for, for some extensions. That's where, that's where it's, it's moving toward. That, that's like the utopia, right? Where we can automate a lot of these tasks. Um, so it's a very, ex very exciting time. I'm sure you're very excited with the work that you're doing right now, Josh. Uh, solid fire. Yeah, for somebody who's not a storage person, um, I will say that having been an operations VMware administrator and being focused on that stack, um, one of the challenges is always that, and, and Rollins and Rivera just had a blog post out yesterday uh, addressing this, how your traditional storage was a silo with limited capabilities with you know, minimal opportunities to take full advantage of what was there. And that what we're seeing with the next generation, you know, storage platforms, whether it be vSAN, whether it be vVols, whether it be unique things that um, companies like SolidFire or Tentree or Nexenta, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll list them. There's a lot of people doing a lot of interesting things um, that are outside of the traditional big, you know, big two or three. Um, you know, we're, we're now getting to a point where the next generation data center is truly starting to touch into, into the storage realm where traditionally it's been in the compute and networking side. So it's, it's, it's kind of exciting to see this silo kind of get the attention that it deserves and, and get some of these challenges addressed. And I won't lie, I, I really think that the proliferation of 10 gig networking and the implementation of you know, cost-effective SSDs are really what's enabling it more than anything. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, Moore's law basically. So um, I do want to call kind of drill into a point that you're kind of a theme that I'm hearing from you and get your perspective from a storage vendor, storage vendor. And, and you're just uh, both in you as well, Nick, with your experience in the community, you know, typically everyone's really, they've really been for, focused on, you know, compute virtualization and really we're seeing, you know, these, these right factors come together where you start seeing network virtualization and storage virtualization and the automation layer across the, um, the entire stack to really create that software defined data center. Um, and Josh, you often talk about, you know, a little, little side, side point here, being the CEO of your career, right? Um, how do you see these technologies changing the, the, the direction for, you know, the V experts, right? Or the community at large? Well, you know, I think what what you're going to start seeing is that, you know, the experts are individuals who have multiple responsibilities within the stack who, who have ownership over storage, network, compute. You know, when you look at the, the compute, tra you know, transformation, specifically like with the implementation of Cisco UCS and how that fundamentally changed the way you know, uh, administrators were looking at how they provision. Now they're looking at things from a policy-based management. The networking side moving to, to NSX and, you know, obviously we mentioned ACI. You know, even those, those are moving to a policy framework. You know, we've had policy frameworks for virtual machines. We now have policy frameworks for compute. We now have policy frameworks for network. Storage policy-based management, that policy, like, we, we are moving to a data center where everything is policy driven. And as such, your mentality and the framework for how you approach and tackle your data center and manage it and all the different elements of it are now at a policy track, right? Everything now is based on how do I find that largest common denominator? How do I find how to deliver these resources and these infrastructure resources to consumers in a way that is consistent and you know, and you do that policy driven, or you can write some really scary power CLI scripts. <laughs> it's less about turning turning the knobs and instead thinking about from a policy perspective, right? You know, policy from your compute, your storage, your network, and and how you do your provisioning. Excellent. Um, so I have a I have a I have a just a general question that I you know, on the book side of the house like. I'm looking at this book and it's like two inches thick. How many pages is it? 840 pages. 840 pages. So, um, how much is this of this book is just generic vSphere versus how much of it is just absolutely targeted at new features of six? Well, I mean, this this book series has been going on for a long time now. Right. So, it was actually started um, in the I think the first version of it that Cybex published was called um, Mastering Virtual Infrastructure 2 or 2.5. I can't remember exactly. Um, it was then changed to Mastering vSphere when v the vSphere name came out with 4.0. That's when Scott Lowe took took up the the mantle and and wrote Mastering vSphere uh, 4, and he subsequently wrote version 5 as well. And it's an iterative process. I'm not going to put my hand up and say I wrote all 840 pages. Absolutely not. <laughs> I wrote the previous version on 5.5 uh, um, along with some co-authors. I had Scott's help writing the network chapter. Josh wrote the automation chapter. Matt, um, the, uh, I, can from, I can never pronounce his name. Matt wrote uh, a couple of chapters around around VMs. And who else did I have? I had. Um, 
Sorry, Grant. No, no, no. I'm talking about 5.5. Oh, 5.5. <laughs> I had co-authors. Okay. Right. Um, contributors. Contributors, co-authors, uh, people that helped along the way. Um, in this latest version, I got, instead of having lots of authors writing um, a few chapters, I got Josh to, to refresh his chapter and I brought on um, a friend from Sydney, Grant Orchard, who's known in the community, especially in Australia, um, to write a significant portion of the book. Now, it's very difficult to put a number on it. Right. 20%, 40%. It's very difficult to put a number on it because it's not that I can just skip through a page and say, oh, this content is relevant because right. if something changes, all the screenshots right. always change right. because yeah. the UI inevitably gets a tweak or a build number changes. So some of the logical diagrams of how things fit together might stay the same. Right. Um, but in terms of old features, you have to make sure that they still function the same way you describe them. So you've still got to go back over that content. Most of the people that pick up these books are not going to pick up every single copy because, well, let's face it, they're going to have some redundant information. vSphere 6, all the new features are in there. Some of the features from 5.5 changed a little bit, so we tweak those. Yeah. And but because it's iterative, then it's basically got a lot of the, you know, a lot of existing tactics there, and then what you've done is you've rewrote it to make sure, you, like you say, new images, new, yep. new the, the idea and, is and that somebody, somebody new to vSphere can pick up this book. That was, that's where I was. And they can, they right. can master vSphere at this point in time. Right. So right. it goes through and it explains what the heck is a, is a hypervisor, right? Okay. Type 1 right. versus type 2. That's right. where it starts out. And then it goes through, okay, what's right. a hypervisor? How do we manage it? Right. How do we scale it? And, and that, that kind of gets to my question of, I don't need to buy an intro to vSphere vSphere, learn a bunch of the general stuff, and then come buy your book to like get into specifics of six. This guy covers pretty much the gamut of everything there. And, and that's then, why it's 840 pages. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's also a lot of, a lot of areas where you reference, you know, it was done previously in 5.5, this is matured to this. I know I had that several places in my chapter where I say, you know, this is how it's done with six. However, you know, in 5.5 it was slightly different. So when you're upgrading or when you're, you know, trying to tackle this, it's fine. So yeah. there's, a, there's a few places we, for that as well. We call back to say, hey, if you're upgrading or if you thought, if you knew that it worked this way in 4.1, it's changed yeah. in this release or it changed in that release, just to give a bit of a history, some context. Do you guys keep lists from the 5.5 book and like have like a bug list or like open issues list that you're getting feedback from the community on? things they didn't understand, things they needed to have cleared up, and are you always looking for that kind of feedback? Yeah, look, I, I, you can never make anything perfect. Perfect is the enemy of good enough, as, as we all know, um, and books are very difficult in that once it's printed, it's printed. Electronic is a little bit easier. Publishers are old hat. They don't like to go back and change anything. Uh, but I certainly had a, a bug list, if you, if you want to call it that, right. um, an issues list. There's, there's an official errata page from the publisher, um, I've already found a, a, a... I just found two errors on this one page. There you go. Thanks for calling that out. Yeah. And nobody's going to buy the book now, Josh. That's great. No, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's still useful. It, it, the thing is, uh, things change, and, and there are little little bits and pieces in a text this big. It's difficult to um, to get everything perfect, but I, I welcome feedback. Uh, it wasn't right. for lack of effort, though. No. So Ryan, jump in if you have a question. I have a couple other questions. I can continue on for hours doing this, but feel free to yeah, jump I, in. Absolutely. 
Um, so I'm actually, you know, curious, you know, regarding the errata, how do, how, how do folks, how, how are you publishing the errata, getting that content out? Um, and at what kind of, you know, intervals are you doing that errata update? So errata updates happen uh, basically as soon as I hear about them, I will email the publisher. So you can either email the publisher directly on Wiley's website, um, wiley.com. You can email me, nick at nickmarshall.com.au or nmarshall at vmware.com. Uh, I will then forward the error and what the correct text should be to the publisher and they'll update the errata page basically as soon as they get the information. So there is an errata page 5.5 and I'm not sure if I've already sent a couple of things on the 6 version. Um, so if people want to, to see an error, just shoot me an email and I'll get it fixed. Where is the errata page? Wiley.com. So, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned that it was, this was a 12-month effort in the, in the rewrite from the 5.5 book and update to the, to the 6.0 book. Can you talk about some of the challenges maybe that you, uh, you, you had as a writer um, being sure. able to yeah. you know, do this? Because in the community, there's a lot of folks that have, have started or have interest in writing a book about a topic that they know a lot about or they're very interested mm -hmm. in. Um, and you know, I know you've done it, and Josh has done it, and others, others have. Um, tell us about that that process and, and what it's like. Sure. So, if, if you don't mind, I'll just take two seconds just to talk about how I actually came to write the book, um, and then I'll talk about the process sure. itself. Awesome. So, uh, in terms of, I was uh, a member of the community. I was a V expert, um, but I wasn't. Um, I wasn't a blogger. I kind of helped out with the podcast, um, the V Brown Bag podcast, but I wasn't really that well known about uh, around the, the VMware community. Not like um, Duncan Epping or William Lamb or Scott Lowe. I was I was like I guess probably the majority of the V experts out there. Um, I was passionate, um, but I didn't have that name. So when Scott Lowe kind of tweeted out, hey, I'm looking for somebody to help me on, on a new writing project that I'm working on, I thought to myself, well, sure, what the heck, I'll put my hand up. I, I didn't expect anything to come of it. I didn't know what the writing project was at the time. And I shot back and said, yeah, that, that, that sounds like fun. And he said, okay, I'm just waiting for a few people to see who's interested, and I'll let you know. A couple of days later, he got back to me asked if we could chat on Skype, and um, sure enough, um, we, we teed up a conversation and he said, look, I want to I want to do a new version of uh, the Mastering vSphere series, but I'm, I, I don't have the bandwidth to, to do another full-blown edition, and I'd like to kind of hand the mantle on to somebody else. Um, and I'm looking for a particular person in the industry that knows a lot about it, but is not already an author or somebody that hasn't necessarily been given the uh, opportunities that I had, given that he was, he was kind of gifted the Mastering DCP series to him. So uh, right. we got working and worked with the publisher and had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, it was a lot of very long hours. Um, I think I worked it out. It was basically 20 hours a week for about a year for both versions wow. of the book. So it's about a thousand hours worth of effort in each book. Um, and then you've got to think about, well, okay, in that time I moved country, um, my wife's pregnant, I changed jobs twice. Um, actually, I think that uh, in the version six, you had a baby, Josh. 
I moved and you moved, moved so, and yeah. Grant had a baby and moved. So in the process of this book, all authors have moved and had kids or are about to have kids. So it's certainly something that's possible, but it's maybe not the healthiest thing to do. And it doesn't I'm, make publisher super happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm turning everybody I'm off. I'm from writing a book. I'm, I'm a little scared that we might ha- I might change jobs and, and have another baby. Um, well, you know, uh, you know, what I would say there is, you know, from the experience standpoint, for instance, I, I learned that I'm a much better editor than I am a writer. Uh, and I also found that the writing process forces me to be very prescribed in how I'm approaching a technology and explaining it. Because what I have to do is ensure that as I'm writing it, I have to understand that the audience may be somebody that's newly introduced. So how do, how do I write in such a way that the, the newly introduced find but the people who you know have been familiar from four, five, five dot five, you know, and now are moving to six can can read it in a manner that is, you know, very consumable. Uh, and they don't have to feel like they're going through a lot of erroneous content that, you know, I already know all this. Um, that, that is a really interesting challenge. Uh, like one of the first things I tackled with 5.5 was I liked the Power CLI content and some of the examples, but it really gave no lead-in as to how to understand how PowerCLI works and some fundamentals of PowerShell so that you could really truly understand how to take advantage of it. So one of the first right. things that I just I beefed that up, explaining what objects were, explaining what the pipeline was. I wasn't writing a PowerShell book, but I was providing just enough context so that somebody was you know, essentially brand new to PowerCLI, they, they could get just some base fundamental information. And if you already knew all that stuff, you could just skip it. Right? So it's, the, the, the book writing process is very, very different than a blog. Very different. Yeah, you've got to, yeah. you've got to think about the when you're writing a blog, you're thinking about, hey, I want this information to get out there. Um, and the audience is the audience that you've attracted. Yeah. Right? It's, it's whoever says, oh, I like this guy's writing style or the, the level of detail that they're providing. They're attracted to that blog. They'll go back there. With a book, you've got to kind of set the expectation um, in the beginning of the book or on, the, on the, the back cover and say, hey, this is a book for, well, in this case, Mastering vSphere. Let, let me take a, another VMware book that's very different, and that is Duncan and Frank's Clustering Deep Dive. We go into a little bit of what a HADRS cluster is, and we talk about all that you need to know for, let's say, a VCP or a VCAP level kind of conversation. But if you want to understand the nitty-gritty details and, and be able to defend it in a VCDX defense, you need to understand more than what's in this book. But as an opening, uh, just to open it up as a as a new administrator or as a seasoned one that doesn't need to go and defend for VCDX, this book's got you covered. And it's yeah, about going to the level. Yeah, you st- so you start at the level 100 and you move up to say a 200 level as you progress through those those concepts. And you look at you know what Duncan and Frank the work that they've done that's taking it to you know like a three four hundred level right a higher level. Exactly. But, but you're you're assuming. The, the reader knows not knows nothing to begin with or has some very basic foundations, but then they can learn, you know, quickly in the book, have context and be able to pick it up. And it might be a new individual. They can actually go and start reading this, 
or someone who wants to know what's new in 6.0, and they can immediately go find the content that's going to be relevant to their new to their Correct. job. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and to provide some additional context, um, I'll, I'll do a little plug on this. The DevOps for VMware Administrator book, which was also released last week, um, you know, primary author uh, Trevor Roberts Jr. Uh, the audience for that is slightly different than the audience specifically for mastering vSphere, right? That that audience is more for um, VMware administrators. There's two types: VMware administrators who are curious about what those methodologies are and what the technologies that are utilized in a DevOps methodology, uh, and then also people who are in a position where they're trying to implement those type of methodologies in a VMware environment. So when we write, you know, that content, well, we're writing content for people who are trying to specifically solve a problem and understand the tools for solving the problem versus, you know, understanding the holistic ecosystem uh, of a product set. So it's very, very different type of audience, and as such, the, the writing style is slightly different as well, which, you know, from an authoring perspective, <laughs> That's uh, that's like writing a uh, historic nonfiction and then a science fiction novel back to back, right? You got different audiences and, and your methodology is different, but you're still writing and you're still trying to, to you know accomplish a certain certain goal with your audience. Right, me. Um, so, uh, so, Eric, you had other questions? Yeah. Well, I, I have a transition. Uh, but but we can we can continue having a dialogue. But uh, we do have a book here, and you know traditionally on the podcast, um, we like to have some kind of reading. And so if everybody on the line could click their fingers when they when they like it, we get a little reading of yeah. the book. So get a little, which little of the two is going to be going to be Josh? I was I was told that I have been promoted to a dramatic reader. All right, all right. So <laughs> I guess we'll. we'll Ryan, we'll do it now. That'll give you a, a few moments to collect your thoughts and think about the things you want to ask these guys. Uh, so, so here we go. A formal reading from Mastering VCR 6 um, by Josh. <laughs> Chapter 1, Introducing VMware vSphere 6. Now in its sixth generation, VMware vSphere builds on previous generation of VMware's enterprise-grade virtualization products. vSphere 6 extends fine-grained resource allocation controls to more types of resources, enabling you to have even greater control over how resources are allocated to and used by virtual workloads. With dynamic resource controls, high availability, un unprecedented and further improved fault tolerance features, distributed resource management, and backup tools included as part of the suite, IT administrators have all the tools they need to run an enterprise environment ranging from a few servers to tens of thousands of servers. In this chapter, you will learn to, one, identify the role of each product in the vSphere product suite, two, recognize the interaction and dependencies between the products in the vSphere suite, and three, understand how vSphere differs from other virtualization products. And then we move on into exploring and going through the different components. And you know, it, 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 is a, it is a true introduction into what vSphere is. No, I, I don't know if that might be cheating or not because, like, you didn't write that part. I did. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I could, think, I could, I think like, if you're going to read, we give you some time here. We'll ask a, a few more questions from Nick and others. But you're going to have to find at least, you know, a sentence or two of something that you wrote okay. versus reading what somebody else wrote. I think that's, that's cheating. That's, that's right? totally easy. That's yeah. totally well, I was, easy. I was getting out of it. He was reading my part. So yeah. I, I thought we were sharing quite nicely. Oh, there you go. I'm, right. I'm, I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time because I'm looking going, 
He's reading it. I thought he wasn't even on that chapter, right? Yeah, yeah. wasn't. Yeah. But you know, you don't have to read that much. But you know, you can you can decide if you want to read anything on that. Um, I, I, I can read more if anybody if you want me to. That is perfectly fine. I want to hear a sentence of of you know a bullet or two or something you wrote. You know, sure. and and then I have a hard time listening to these podcasts because it's me you know, talking, and so, like, I'm just curious whether you read your own writing, whether you're kind of cringe and go, did I actually that's, that? that's actually a really, really good question. It is. Because the, the, the editing process is really interesting, and I'll let, I'll let you find what you want to read. Mm -hmm. I, I just want to, if, you, if you're a blogger or you, you make podcasts, uh, generally, the editing process is fairly, you read through it, or you listen to it, you'll cut little bits off here or there or change a word or a typo or spelling mistake or something. And it's not that big a deal. But when you're doing a publication like this, the process is you'll write a chapter or you'll review a chapter, depending if it's a revision like this one or a, or a new book like Josh's other book. And you'll, you'll go through it and you'll read what you wrote and hopefully get it to what you think is about 90% and send it to the publisher. They'll review it, they'll mark it up, they'll tell you that this sentence doesn't work or you're using too much, um, uh, to, what, what is the, the, the term that they use? Uh, it's, it's like that they'll, they'll tell you that the, the, the pose is incorrect or yeah. they'll use all these real technical, I was, uh, when I did English at school, I was not the best <laughs> at spelling or grammar. Or Most tech geeks are not. I, I was right? in the computers, right? right. right. Um, and then you, you make the changes, and then you send it back to them, and then they'll send it back to you. And then or you, you argue with them. Or you argue with them about why you use SQL instead of SQL, depending on where you're from, and why it should be a SQL versus an SQL, or a mm -hmm. SQL versus... It, it, it's those technicalities that it's just back and forth. And then that'll just be the first editor. And then that'll be the, the kind of the production editor. And then you have the development editor. And then you have the technical editor. And, and then you have the, the grammar person. And the grammar person and the proofreader. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. That's why it takes 12 months, Eric. It's not right. something that you can just submit and then they look at it and go, oh, yeah, that looks okay. We've made a few changes here. Are you happy with that? Okay, let's print a book. It's a lot more, a lot more uh, extreme in terms of how they stretch it out. And on that same note, as as you're doing that writing process and the editing process, I I find that I read the chapter aloud or read sections mm -hmm. aloud to ensure that it makes sense. Because if I can't read it aloud, someone who you know, even some you know someone who is new to the technology or may have English as a second language yeah. or you know I, I can't make it too complicated. I have to be able to read it so that it's consumable. Yeah, and, and not not just for you, but uh, so the 5.5 version got translated into at least Japanese and got translated into any other. So the translator has to be able to understand it as well and, and, and translate, think, it. translate it correctly. Um, it's, it's an interesting process. And then on top of that, the other thing that happens, which some of your V expert listeners would know, back changes. Right. I'm not going to go into specifics because we didn't right. release certain, certain features that might or right. we put stuff in or, or we change things or whatever, but stuff changes. So you were running on betas. You were, you know, I'm right. to ask you way about earlier that. than that. So right. I, basically when I start writing the latest builds, 
I install it in my lab as best I can because obviously this is pre-alpha code that I've got. And I'm, I stand it up and I, I talk to some of the product management team about what features they hope will get finished for this version or what things that they, they what direction it's going, what's going to make it, what's looking like it's going to slip, all that kind of thing. And then sometimes directions change, right. markets move, things are going to get implemented in a different way or a roadmap changes for whatever reason. And I've had to rewrite entire sections, not quite whole chapters, because there's only 14 chapters, but entire sections of chapters, yes, I've had to rip and replace, and right. that happens. That's just part of writing a book for a, an unreleased piece of software. Interesting. All right. Did you find a Did you find a line? This is your words, your written. Although now what you're saying is that none of it. It's all just such an iterative process. It's some editor. It's your words. It's not your words. But you are forced to read it over and over and over. Yeah, a million times over. Yeah, and and it's funny because even doing the update, I had to go back and read everything that I had done to identify if there were any like specific like changes in direction and and because of the way the products had changed. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing, and this is what I'll read, is something that fundamentally didn't change when I did the 5.5 update is just kind of answering the question. I mean, you, you get a chapter about automation. Why is it 45 pages long? Why use automation? And so that's the, the section that I'll, that I'll read right now. It's pretty short. All right. The question of why to use automation comes up time and again. And over the years, I have narrowed it down to a simple answer. You are only one person. An individual can perform, perform only a finite amount of work manually in any given hour, day, or week. With automation tools, administrators can increase their efficiency, accuracy, and capacity. Efficiency is defined as automation uh, efficiency. Automation lets you complete repeated tasks with less effort. A phone call or colleague has never distracted a script or a workflow, causing it to miss a step or complete its work in a timely manner. Accuracy. Automation allows consistent repetition of tasks. Configuration changes, reports, and process workflows can be automated with high confidence that errors will not be made in capacity. With automation, administrators can increase productivity. Tasks that would take hours manually can be completed in minutes or seconds with automation. Cool. Nice. Thank Good you. words. You still like them? I left them in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, you know, we're, we're coming down to the last couple minutes of the show. I, I have a noisemaker. I, like, I want to bring like an air horn or something when somebody reads or does. You know, we have, we have to have some folio kind of stuff going on. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Uh, nice job. Nice job. Um, where can people get the book? Right? Uh, so, easiest place is probably Amazon. Uh, the ebook took a little It's there now so you can get the, the hard copy or the, uh, the electronic copy from Amazon is probably the easiest place or pretty much wherever books are sold. Books are sold. Yeah, I'm sure we'll have the VM World. At the, It'll be, I'll, book, uh, we'll be signing, signing right. copies there. If you don't see us at a, at a VMUG between now and then, we'll get a copy. Actually, Eric, would you this this copy yeah. of the book to give away? Yeah. Well, have you, you can have this sign one. It. Well, have yeah, we'll sign it. it. Uh, it's your podcast with the date on it, and uh, we'll 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 wrap right. it. You we'll have, it up. However, you want to give it away. Yep. Um, we actually gave forty copies away at yesterday's. Sure, uh, I'll give it away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna give it away. Uh huh. Sure, I am. My my precious. He's gonna donate it to the Nielsen <laughs> Library. <laughs> the um. Uh, if, if you didn't get to Silicon Valley VMUG yesterday, you missed out. We gave away 40 signed copies, wow, 40 nice. copies yesterday. Right. Um, so if ever there's a reason to go to the next one, it might be that you'll get a free book out of it. 
that that's that's great. I you know like you know, the, get on Amazon. Um, did you did you make a bestseller list? Have you have you gotten any Amazon? Do you, you do you track such things? How do you know how it's doing? We're, we're authors. We we track such things. <laughs> <laughs> watching the metrics like I watch the metrics on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's something signs. that. Look, the thing is, well, and, no, and, and I'll, be, I'll be honest about this. You don't make a lot of money, and 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 it's it's not about the money. It's about yeah. get. The, well, there, there's a couple of reasons. It's getting the, the information out there. It's about developing your personal brand. Um, if I did this for the money, I think I worked it out. It was like under ten dollars an hour. Yeah, <laughs> right. I worked out right. to what right. what it worked out. It's, it's not significant money, but there's intangible benefits as well. Sure. I got I got uh, a moved halfway around the world because I wrote the last version. Nice. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and it's it's you automatically become the expert, right? I mean, that, oh. that's that's it right there. Right? Like, <laughs> did you know, Eric? Here's, here's, here's a little here's a little tip for you. I started podcasting the V Brown Bag podcast because I wanted the licenses that the experts got. That was the only reason that I cared about starting podcasting V Brown Bag for Cody. To get yeah. the experts so you can get yeah. the license. Yeah, I wanted the license. Full <laughs> disclosure. Uh, the only reason that I agreed to, to chapter, rewrite the chapter on automation initially was because I wanted to be able to search my name on Amazon.com. It was it was specifically it was specifically a goal that I had I had listed out. So I mean, if you if you hear my Geek Whispers episode that I was on where I talk about like how I plan my first, one of the goals I had was to be listed on Amazon somewhere as an author. Another one's like having a patent. Still working on that one. Right. But you know, it's, it was just being able to we, check one off. You know, we certainly have those life check boxes. I'm old enough now. I went through yeah. Spawn. I got my patents. I did a book. I did yep. been through that. But the, the, the thing for me is just just the passion of giving back yeah. and teaching oh, yeah. people something so that I had to work really hard to learn. And if I learned something that I thought was really cool that I learned, if I could just somehow get it to people, make it easy, right? For make it easy for them. I would just I just like like a little warm part in my heart goes. And, that, and that's what it's to me really about, right? And you get these career benefits, and you know it's it's fun, and you know you live in the dream. I, I tweeted out today, you know, like living the dream on something. Like that's great to be a expert, and like yep, living the dream. But it's that dream of just you know being in tech and then being able to share cool things that everybody can learn without having to work so hard. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and that's one thing that I didn't fully appreciate before getting involved in the project. It's once Mastering Vsphere five point five was released. The, the response that people have and the appreciation that they have for you putting that out there. I you know, I was doing the podcasting and blogging and all that right. stuff, and that was always the medium that I thought worked for me. But I never really appreciated how how impactful you know being an, a co-author on a book can can be. And so yeah, my pers my perspective on it completely changed, which is why I'm continuing to do more projects. Um, even though I said I wasn't going to, yeah, because yeah. it's not the money, it's not. Goal anymore. It's it's exactly what you were describing. Yep. Right. So Ryan, you're, you're so, back on the call. A uh, couple last questions. Yeah, really, just one. Well, two last questions um, for for both you, uh, both Nick and and Josh. If there was like really one key piece of advice you would give um, aspiring authors, right? People that are in the community that want to give back um, and and maybe write a book, right, or start a blog. From your perspective, what is one key piece of advice you would give them? 
<laughs> don't write a book. No, no, no. no, no, no. I wouldn't do that. There's a Rodney Dangerfield uh, back to class or one of those, like, you know, he's, like, he's doing doing the final final scene of the movie and he's and they have him do a graduation speech and he's like, just go back, live with your parents, don't do it. <laughs> I, I would say if you want to do it, do it. But understand right. the commitment that writing a book takes. Yep. Um, if you're going to do it, you need to be passionate about um, getting and seeing that, that finished product. I, I know a number of people that have started a blog. How many blogs have been started? But sure. have, have, yeah. have a dozen or so posts on there. Um, I, I don't blog very often simply because I don't have the time. It's not, I'm not as passionate about that as I am writing. This is the medium that I've kind of chosen. But in terms of getting published, it, it's the, the amount of ways to get published these days is, is a lot easier than it used to be. Yep. Um, if, if, you've got, if you're passionate about a subject, just get it out there. Don't worry about whether you can actually put it out on Amazon.com um, under a, a, like one of those big publisher right, brands. The, the brand is not important. It's that you've got the information out there. So if you're passionate about audio, do an audio podcast. If you want to do video blogging, do video blogging. Just be passionate and don't worry about finding an audience. The audience will find you. Absolutely. Yeah, I, w I would say as professional you know, marketing people right, in the deriving community, we're always looking for we're always looking for content. Yeah. We have a, we just go through so much content content that every day it's another piece that we're looking for. So yeah, out there that's, a, that's great advice, right? Yeah, and I, w I would go with um, don't you know when you ask somebody how do you eat an elephant, one bite at a time, <laughs> right? Don't right. don't don't try to boil the ocean. Don't disillusion yourself. Be very very honest with yourself about how much time you have available to commit to something because you know if you're doing the book publishing thing, it's a commitment. Um, and if you're unsure, start by offering up to be an editor. Um, technical editors are sometimes very challenging to find, especially good ones. Um, and I'm not saying from experience that there are bad ones, that I've worked with bad ones because I haven't. Um, but I, I heard the, the horror stories prior to going in that sometimes it can be challenging. So. Um, always looking for technical editors and people to give feedback to. So that's a, that's a great way to get an entry point in. And you never know, you, your contributions as an editor may, may lead you to be uh, um, pegged to be somebody to contribute to um, another book. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the other point is chat to other people that have done it. So talk to Scott, talk to Forbes, talk to Matt, talk to Josh, talk to myself, talk to, to Grant, Duncan, Frank, whoever. People I think that a lot of people are afraid to reach out um, to other people, whether they're people that have put their name on a book or just generally, hey, you've done right. something, I want to talk to you about it. But honestly, we're, we're all humans. We, we all want to talk about things that we've done. So, hey, reach out and let's have a conversation about it. Right. Don't, be, don't be afraid. Everybody's just human, all of us. Yeah. Just put our pants on and are excited about being here. Exactly. So we're out of time. Ryan, thanks for, uh, as always, uh, dialing in and asking great questions. Uh, Josh, Nick, thanks for being on the show. I uh, wish you well, and uh, nothing else. We'll see you at VMworld in a, in a couple months, and uh, we'll see you at the signing. Thank you very much for donating the book. Uh, we'll try to figure out how to, how to get it to raffle it off somewhere, somehow, uh, make money at it, donate it to uh, the charity. Um, and. Thanks for being on the show. I bet we're over time, so I'm going to hit the button. Last, any last things before we let them go? Going on? I'm good. Thanks, guys. All right. 
Thanks, Ryan. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Have a great week. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.